Welcome to Third Eye Science. I'm your host, Susan Bontoon. On this podcast, we'll be exploring the lines between science and spirituality. As a scientist and a yogi, I've found that these two realms do not have to be mutually exclusive. With the mind of a logical scientist, I've navigated my own spiritual journey with a curious and open mind. I'll share lessons and tools I've found along the way and have compelling conversations with spiritual leaders, teachers, yogis, and fellow travelers about their experiences and practices. In this age of information and misinformation, it's time to interpret and understand the world with your third eye. Welcome to Third Eye Science. I'm so excited to share this episode with you today with Rose Theodora. She's an astrologer that I had the privilege to meet at a retreat in France in November. And I got to see how she works with a group of people and our natal charts and really curates the event and how how she explains the astrology. It was so fun and interesting to work with her on that in in that way. But I just want to read a little bit more about Rose from her website because I think it so perfectly embodies what she's all about. She's a celebrated astrologer, writer, and curator. She believes astrology should be empowering and aesthetic. Her deep love and vast knowledge of astrology are accompanied by a rich background in neuroscience and art history degree from UCLA, which has been a backdrop for her success in marrying the marrying of astrology and aesthetics. Intrigued by the healing effects of aesthetic choices, for example, color, scent, and food, and how they are continually reflected in the natal chart. Rose weaves the two uniquely in her work. So we really get into her background in science and how she had influences even in early childhood from her grandfather who was an ophthalmologist and NASA scientist. And then how she took the leap of faith and became an astrologer for a living, even though she had so much conditioning and resistance towards doing that. Um, And then we also get into this, the events of the astrology that's happening right now, the recent eclipse over the last weekend, and then the Capricorn stellium, which both just happened. However, we are still feeling the effects of this. So it's really helpful in understanding what's happening in the energetic field of our planet and our collective consciousness right now. And then at the very end, we, I, I had her kind of give a couple of words to describe each of the signs. So it, I found it so beautiful to hear her perspective on this because in pop culture astrology there's sort of these these words that have become synonymous with each each sign and 
it's just not, it's just a very cursory glance at astrology. So we go really deep today. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Please share with your friends and family, share it on social media, tag me and Rose. I'm Third Eye Science and Rose is Rose Theodora on Instagram. We're both most active there. So enjoy and thanks for listening. Welcome to Third Eye Science and I'm talking to Rose Theodora, a an amazing astrologer. Welcome, Rose. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so I want to get into, I'm, I'm really excited about this conversation and I'm really excited about the timing of it because there's so much going on. But before we get into the astrology, I, I really want to get into your background because I know, like me, you're kind of a little bit of a science nerd and and I was hoping that we could get into that a little bit and just talk about wh- how you got into astrology and how you see astrology and science really playing a role together. Oh, good question. <laughs> um, I love this. So my grandfather was a scientist. He was an ophthalmologist and he was an inventor for NASA. And so I loved science growing up. For me, science just really resonated, um, partially because of the way he would break it down. But I also just did really well in science, you know, even in grade school, like any kind of science, homework assignment, and even into organic chemistry in college, I just did so well. For me, it was so logical and a part of life that that seemed to me almost more like just spiritual, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I kind of grew up with two completely different types of thought. One is very scientific and the other was very mystical and very, um, I don't want to say detached from science, but just coming from more of a philosophical place. Um, although science can be very philosophical too, but, um, my grandfather who, who was the ophthalmologist for NASA actually retired. And with my grandmother, they had a Unitarian church. So he was always a very, yeah. And so I grew up with like many affirmation books and they would have affirmations all over the house and just really believed in meditation. They would wake up and spend two hours meditating in the morning And it was such a way of life, but his relationship with me was very, um, it was very intellectual. We would spend time watching Star Wars and we would talk about um, NASA and his experience. And anytime I would stay with them growing up, he would take me to the military base and he would talk about his experience in the Air Force and he would talk to me about um, his practice and optics and light and just for me was so I, I had I could soak up every single detail. It was just fascinating to me to think about light and optics and the way that we view the world. So this background paired with um, 
an insatiate just desire to learn about the natural world through the scientific lens was was taking part in a really strong way. My mother is a Tai Chi instructor and she oh, I, I grew up with her meditating all the time <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and grew up with a lot of Eastern mysticism um, from her perspective. And then there was my father who is um, a landscape architect who has a crazy connection to nature and he's from New Mexico, he's from Santa Fe which is where I'm born in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I think this love of the natural world and this mystical kind of philosophical world really developed within me. I was introduced to astrology probably around age eight when I could read by myself. And uh, that was because of my mother's astrological books. And she had all of these kind of crazy friends. One was a dream interpreter and uh, past life regression therapist and uh, one of her friends was an Akashic record reader so this is this is normal for me growing up this way that's so amazing (laughs) (laughs) and where did your grandparents did they live near or did you just see them on special occasions my parents were very young when I was born Uh um we're talking 18 and 20. And so they had no idea what, what they were doing. And so thankfully, I had three sets of grandparents. I had my mother's parents living in Michigan. And I had my father's parents who were born and raised in Texas, um, very conservative, very traditional. Um, and they separated before I was even born and remarried to other people. So I had three sets of grandparents, two in New Mexico because those grandparents moved from Texas to New Mexico. And um, whenever my parents were working or, you know, hanging out with their friends or whatever teens do, um, I was being raised by my grandparents, thank God, you know. Yeah. What a blessing to have this, like, a little bit of everything. And it just, I feel like it really informs who you became, don't you? Totally. I mean, this is, and I'm an only child. So it's, I grew up with these really elderly people who I really respected. They were very wise. They were very mystical in my eyes and um, just really made me respect life in such a different way. And um, so even when I'm reading these astrology books at age eight, like I never thought it would be a profession. I thought, that's so hippie to have. Like, I, I don't want to be my parents. I could never, um, <laughs> I don't want to go that route. Like, why would I want to do, because my idea of an astrologer was someone from the 1970s, um, maybe someone that looks, and, and I don't mean this in any disrespect at all. These are great astrologers. But I, I thought of like, you know, Rick Levine or these kind of uh or Stephen Forrest, they have this like white hair and they have this certain look and they have this kind of hippie vibe and they study evolutionary astrology and they're great evolutionary astrologers and they're pioneers in their field. But I just didn't want to be that. I thought I have nothing in common with those people. Yeah. And I just never thought that that's what I would do. And I fought it for the longest time. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to, practice astrology yet on the side I'm going to obsessively 
study every book, every lecture that I can get my hands on. And I wasn't able to watch YouTube at this point. So I'm just reading books like crazy. And um, it wasn't until after graduating college that I really thought, okay, I'm not happy in, in a traditional setting, in a work setting. And I'm obsessively doing astrology my whole life, practically. I think I need to look at this as an ability to really help people, too, yeah. and to share my love with them. Well, and I'm sure you yeah. already were helping people, right? Like, that's, it's like, you love reading <clears throat> charts. Like, I can see it in your eyes when you read a chart. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you've been doing that your whole life, right? Yeah, since I can... I think I was sharing this story with someone recently. It's like I would go to the dentist or anywhere and, and even the gas station. And I would think, what, who are you? Like, what sign are you that you work here? Right. You know, like what kind of person? Why, why are you aligned to this? Like, who are you? Yes. And that was a lens for me to really get to know people. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really cool to, you know, and I, I should just say, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, but I spent a week in France with Rose at a, on a magical journey retreat in um, <laughs> Bateau, and we really went very deeply into the astrology along with many other practices, but I really got to see how you, like, I can see that you you just, you see it on a fundamental level. And I was actually wondering if there is some visual aspect to the chart, like you seem to also remember people's charts, like, you, you know, yeah. you do everybody's charts, and you had a whole group of us, there are 20 of us, and you were like, oh, yes, Susan's got this and, you know, this sign and, you know, this planet and this sign, and you would remember. And so I was wondering, if you like could maybe even describe how you visualize it. Wow. Yeah. It, for me, it's a little bit of a photographic memory, mm -hmm. um, but I think, you know, there are certain, there are certain signs and certain planets associated with astrology. And there's, there's an ancient ruler Mercury. Actually, you have to have a strong Mercury placement in your chart to be able to read astrology the reason for that is because it is an abstract science. You have to be able to put things together in such an abstract way, and there's no one way about it. It's always a different formula. And you have to, each person is so unique that you have to be able to apply these formulas in different ways. So it's like once you learn the chemical compounds, for example, then you can make certain elements, right? Or you take the elements and then you can make certain compounds. So this is how it works. Um, and that's, so I certainly remember, especially when I'm working with a group of people, I'm always putting things together and you have to be able to do that for astrology because it isn't just knowing, okay, Susan, you're a Pisces and you've got this Taurus moon and this Aquarius rising. When I look at someone's chart, I really feel their soul essence. And I have to look at how are all of these key players working together? Mm. And, and who is this person? And where are you in your life? And so I remember it through that lens of 
you know, associating it to you visually, right? which helps. I don't always need, I don't always need to read people visually, but when I see someone's chart, I actually feel like I've met them. Mm. You know, I do a lot of readings remotely and I feel like I know the essence of the person. And, um, I don't know if that directly answers your question, but it is an an art of abstractly putting it together and interpreting. And through that, I'm able to really memorize it. Like I might not remember someone's exact birth date, um, but I'll remember their planetary placements. That's just how my memory works. (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, it's just remarkable to me. I, and I feel like every time I've met someone who's in a, who is really a, an astrologer, it just comes naturally to some extent. Like it's, and it's really clear to me that you like you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. You know. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so actually, let's go back to. So you're in college. What was your major in college? That was like a science, wasn't it? Yeah. Too. I. Uh, I was biopsych, so pre-med, neuroscience. Okay. Yeah. And I was art history. And the reason for the two was I really wanted to be a psychiatrist. Okay. I wanted to go to med school. I wanted to become a psychiatrist. I wanted some art history training because I love art and I've made art and created it my whole life. And so I thought these two for me, this kind of scientific world, and the arts have to go together. And I wasn't sure how I was going to do that, but I just have such a love and respect for science that it felt so natural and almost easier for me to study that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so then did you, so then you graduated and you did, did you apply to med school and then realize this is not for me or did you start? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, and my grandfather actually told me, he said, don't do it. And I said, what? Imagine right. my, <laughs> my mentor, my grandfather was like, don't do it. He had his private practice. I think he had three locations in Texas. He ends up working for NASA and inventing the coding visor to protect your eyes from, to protect astronauts eyes from, from the sun. And so for me, he was like, oh my God, this is a person I admire so much telling me not to do this. Why? And he said, you'll be like a slave. He's like, you'll work like crazy. You won't have any free time. You love to travel. You won't be able to travel. Don't do it. Oh, do something else. It's so sweet. He, cause he saw you, he knew who you really were. And it was like, even though he had influenced you your whole life in this track, he could recognized all of your, your, the whole, your whole being. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Oh, so Thank then, you. so how did you, how did you then get into actually, did you work doing other things just like kind of a day job and still keep doing astrology? When did it turn into something that you realized I can actually do this for a living? Yeah, about nine years ago. So when I graduated, um, I thought, okay, well, I'll work in the art world. I mean, that makes sense. So I'll work at an art gallery. I'll work at um, an auction house. And I was just 
working these jobs, you know, as an assistant art director in Beverly Hills, because I went to UCLA, so I was in LA. And it just never fulfilled me. I was like, this feels so empty. Mm-hmm. First of all, um, it feels like such a market. It's such a, you know, <laughs> there's this whole philosophy with yeah. this, the art dealers. And, you know, it's just such a, it's not what you think when you're in it. And I didn't feel that connection to the art that I thought I would feel. Mm-hmm. And so I really struggled. And, and meanwhile, on the entire side, I'm doing Kundalini yoga. I'm having my meditation practice like I always have. And I'm practicing astrology because for me, I thought I was a hobbyist, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Even though I've done it every day for like <laughs> 25 years at this point. Yeah. And, and everyone around me was saying, I don't know. I, I think maybe you should do astrology. And I'm like, no way. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. And I don't want to tell people what to do. And I don't want to fortune tell. And I had all of these weird things in my head about it and um it was when I finally said I was working at an art gallery and um just always around art and I remember one of the last last exhibitions that we did and it was at the Santa Monica Museum of Art was a color exhibition by Robert Swain do you know that artist yes yeah do you I think so what um what's his He's incredible. He, he perfected a way that you can make a square, a cube of color. If you make it 24 by 24 inches, it's illuminated perfectly on all sides. And so he has such an exceptional connection to color and light. Mm. So this is coming up for me again. Yeah. And in the Santa Monica Museum of Art, we had huge panels. One was 64 feet long of these cubes, these gradations of colors that he created. And we would have different workshops there because part of working in an art museum is that you have programming. People come in and so you have to have different programming for the public. So we would have sound therapy, light therapy. We'd have like a sound bath in this space. And I had such a profound experience with color and sound. And I was, I was fascinated. What sign is he? Why is he creating this? Yeah. And what is his connection to color and light? And here's the obsession again with astrology. Even while I was studying in school for art history, um, I wasn't as much obsessed with the art as the psychological and uh, social climate for which the person created their art. Interesting. Yeah. So, it's that context. Yeah. Like you're always putting people in a context, it seems like. Completely. Yeah. Yes. So this experience was so profound for me and it really awoke me because I thought, okay, I really need to do my own. I need to create something and I don't want to be a traditional astrologer and I do not want to practice evolutionary astrology which was this resurgence from the 60s that many people practice today, um, which is very psychological based. And I thought, I don't want to do that. I, I really want to connect astrology to aesthetics and to lifestyle and to a holistic way of living so you can actually heal yourself. 
through these aesthetic preferences. Mm. And so I quit my job um, there and they had actually asked me to do readings while I was working there. At the, at the museum, like for the the museum Mm -hmm. for (laughs) one of the openings, they said, could you do readings for us? For the clients and and for our members. And I said, sure. Yeah. And it was when I started. Yeah. And one of the members, even I forgot this until I'm talking about it now. One of the members even said, please come to my house. I have two sets of twins. Can you do our chart? I I insist on paying you. And I thought, it's fine. You don't have to pay me. (laughs) No, no, I insist. Please come. And we had the two sets of twins charts out. And I ended up doing their entire family's chart. It was the biggest check I've ever received paid for astrology. Right. Way more than what I had made at the museum or any other job I've ever had. And I thought, okay, I clearly am in denial. I need to look at this. (laughs) (laughs) And there were just a couple more precursors before I fully quit. So I had decided, okay, I'm going to start. I'm going to feel my way into this. I'm a cancer, so I thought, okay, I'll feel my way into it. Um, And then I ended up going with a friend to a studio, um, a nail studio, and the owner who had just opened it up said, what do you do professionally? And I said, I'm an astrologer. It was the first time I claimed it. Mm. And she said, could you do color astrology? And I thought, hmm. she suggested yeah. it. Oh my God. She suggested it. And I thought, this is so uh, interesting. Okay, <laughs> let's talk about this. Yeah. And so we decided to make an experimental color astrology studio, the first one ever. And within the first month of opening, and this is the success of this is why I quit the job at the museum. Uh-huh. But basically, within the first week of opening, um, we were in Vogue magazine. I mean, we just blew up. Wow. It was so wild. when was this? And it this... proved, this was in 2012. Okay. Eight years ago, whatever that is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it proved so, to you that this is something you could do for a living. And do it in a non-traditional way. Right. Absolutely. Right. Well, mm-hmm. that's amazing. I love, <laughs> I love how it just evolved. And, and it's so, isn't it funny how our conditioning just sort of makes us resist something, even when it's obvious to everyone but us, you know? <laughs> right. Like everyone's yeah. telling you to be a, an astrologer and you're like, who tells someone to be an astrologer? <laughs> Right. And I think you can identify with this as a scientist. Like I will call myself a, a, a hobbyist too as a scientist, but I just think when you think in terms of a theory, you're like, mm, I don't know if that's going to work. And you think too logically in a way, right? I do like to feel my way into things, but I was way too analytical about it. I was like, I can't make a living doing that. Who did right. that? Right. No way. Yes, I totally yeah. get it. It's and for me it's been this like oh can I be out in the world as someone who's a scientist and a spiritual leader, right? Like and it's right. and I finally embraced that like basically last year like okay, I'm going to do this thing and 
and I really felt like the the name of the podcast actually was like a download, <laughs> you know, and a lot of even the blurb right. wrote at the beginning, the intro that I do, it just came to me and it was like divinely guided. And it seems like that happened to you too, finding yourself in this nail salon where someone actually is going to suggest something like color astrology. <laughs> you know? Crazy, right? <laughs> so I know. Cool. So why don't I you... would have never dreamed that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so sometimes that's what we have to, we just have to be open to. And then of course, I'm, I'm sure that for you, it's like the feeling becomes so overwhelming. It's a yes, right? Like it's a, oh, this is the thing I need to do, you know? Right. Well, the excitement of it, the the love of it is able, it consumes you to the point that there's no fear. Right. You have no fear when you're living in that flow. Oh. And, and it just over, it, it, it not overwhelms you, but it just is so reassuring in some way because then you're not thinking. There's no room for fear. You just do it. You go with the flow because it's unfolding that way. Mm, that's so beautiful. Um, so why don't you talk a little bit about how, yeah, how your, the way you read is different and how you bring color into it. Yeah. Well, it, it was interesting too, because when I was moving, I moved here to Spain, as you know, three years ago, I found that I have many chromotherapy books I have an old color astrology book from the 70s. Um, I had been reading these things and not realized it <laughs> ever. Like I didn't, I didn't put it together that I actually had a library of yeah. color theory. So it wasn't until you were actually packing up that you realized? <laughs> that I realized it. And I don't even know how many of them I had read or if I read them a long time ago, which I think happens, right? Yes. You digest the information. It becomes part of your subconscious. And it does, uh, it does surface at some point when you have that realization, which is, I think, an incredible thing about moving um, yeah. or rediscovering those. So, um, but the way that I read and see color, I look at the chart as being, and I mentioned this earlier, elements. So if we think about prime matter, I think when a person is born, they incarnate into this world in sort of a fragmented way. We, we, I really do believe that we incarnate from wholeness and we come in with that that pure state of wholeness, but then through the human experience, somehow we become fragmented. Mm -hmm. And I believe that the planets show up as those fragmentations. Fragmentations being duality, fragmentations being parts of ourselves that we express differently. For example, Pluto is this part of us that is collected to the higher will, the collective will, um, and the way that it shows up in our individual chart is that there's a transformation happening because of our soul's will that is out of our control. And so Pluto is where you sort of submit to transformation in your life. 
And all of the other planets, for example, Saturn is the way you structure your life. The moon is where you feel so deeply and it's connected to your soul. And there's tons of theories about it. Um, Mercury is the way you process information. So those are fragments, though. That's not saying a person as a whole. It's saying you have these different facets that you express. And each one needs attention, individual attention in this human experience. Mm. So whenever I see that in a person's chart, I never think, oh, that's a terrible placement or that's a great one. I think, okay, here's more of a challenge for the person at integrating the duality and here's where they have ease. Mm. And how can I help them to express all parts of themselves? So for me, a reading, an individual reading for a person is saying, where are you with this? Have you integrated this experience in your life? Have you integrated what to me looks like a challenge? And it's a conversation. And so beyond the elements, beyond the positions of the planets in the signs, I do think that astrology is about returning to wholeness, returning to the omnipresence, which means to express all parts of yourself the divine lens of acceptance. Hmm. It's not good or bad. It's just, can you make peace with these different parts of yourself? And when you do, when you surrender, then you're able to, to kind of come into that wholeness. Right. And so for me, that's what holistic lifestyle is about. And for me too, it is about doing that through the use of passive chromotherapy. Hmm. Because each each person, and that's just one modality you could use. But I do think that we are, and I see this repeatedly with my clients, is that they're attracted to a particular type of music, food, routine. They're attracted to certain colors. And there's a reason for that. So are they attracted helpfully to those things? Is it in alignment with their charts? Or how can they become more in alignment? So when I think in terms of color, I actually see in color. Um, and when I hear certain words, I see them in color. Mm. And when I'm reading a person's chart, I think, okay, here's a way for them to bring balance through a particular color or a, cer a certain type of music or a certain aspect of life, whether it's diet, to just help support them come into wholeness. Is that making sense? Yeah. And actually, like, so an example <clears throat> of that was you were commenting in France, you were commenting on all of the things that I had that were like this turquoise, like this blue green color. And you were saying that <laughs> that's like in balance for me as a Pisces, right? Yeah. Yep, exactly. The reason for that is the color turquoise is comprised, it's not a primary color, right? It's comprised of blues and green, part blue, part green. And it, it really reflects a lot of light. And so you can look at the spiritual meaning of the color and why, for example, Native Americans were so obsessed with not only the stone turquoise, but the color. Mm-hmm. But turquoise is associated with the 
spiritual essence of a person, that spiritual wisdom. It's a color that isn't easily acceptable by a lot of people because it's so distinct, it's, but it's so soothing, it's so calming, it has such healing benefits. It's not a stimulating color. It's a very right. subdued color. Right. And so, and it's aquatic. So it really is associated with the, with the sign Pisces being that you're the last sign of the Zodiac and you are a part of everything. You're also a water sign. And it's not a, it's not a structured color. If you think about brown or a primary color, which is very restrictive, it doesn't let a lot of light in or it's wavelength. It's very, it, it's turquoise is a very ebb and flow color. It lets a lot of light in. It's very soothing. And so that's why it's associated with Pisces and most Pisces, depending on what placements are in your chart, uh, are going to be attracted to this color. Hmm. It's so interesting. And I really do. I mean, I, I'm sure there are other people talking about color and astrology, but if, in my world, you're the only person I know that is. And it's just, I find it so fascinating. It's like every time I read, your Instagram stories when you do the color scape, you do that every week, right? Yeah, the color scope. Yeah, if I oh. have time, I really try to do it. Um, yeah, just I just, color to, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I find it so, it's like, it's always exactly on point. It's just so remarkable. <laughs> like, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. It's, it's, I intuitively do it. But I also, um, and it's hard for me to admit that too, but maybe because of my science background of liking to have like a logical explanation for everything, yeah. that part is intuitive. And I look at what are the aspects for the week? Like this week, you know, today we're in between, and I know we'll get into this later, but we're in between an eclipse and a huge planetary alignment, a stellium and Capricorn tomorrow. So it's been a tense week. It's been, it's been a, a structured week and colors that are associated with structure tend to be, you know, um, darker colors, or I would say black and white. I don't consider them colors, right? They're all colors or colorless, uh-huh. depending on if you're talking about colors or light. Um, but there are certain colors associated with that type of mood and those planetary alignments. And so we can either work with that and, and it feels extra heavy, or we can work with a more soothing color to help counteract some of that and balance it and bring us more into a sense of homeostasis. Mm. So that's the way that I like to work with chromotherapy is a way to induce an effect, a psychosomatic effect, right? right? But it's, it's real. Right. So, okay, so let's get into, so we're recording this on Saturday the 11th, and actually I'm going to put this podcast out on Wednesday, so it will come out really quickly. So I do think it's worth talking about the eclipse, and I was just, right before we started the recording, I was telling you that it was such an intense week for me, (laughs) so maybe maybe you could um, just like set the stage for the eclipse, the eclipses, and then also this major stellium that's happening tomorrow. Right. 
So one thing that I think is really important to know and to remember with astrology is that there's never an isolated event. It's never that, I mean, the planets are all in orbit within the ecliptic. They're moving and they're all interacting Mm -hmm. with magnetic resonance. So when they come into a planetary alignment, this has been in a long time coming. We can predict way in advance when an asteroid may threaten us on earth, right? Or when the moon will be in a certain constellation or where it will be in relationship to earth. These are all highly calculated events. And so they're coming from somewhere and they're going somewhere, but it's not that linear line. It's this evolutionary process. And so the eclipse that happened yesterday was at 20 degrees cancer and What that means is a lunar eclipse is basically a full moon, but it's a 180 degree complete alignment of the sun on one side of the earth, the earth in the middle and the moon on the other side. And what is actually happening is that the two luminaries, so there are only two luminaries within our solar system, which are the sun and the moon, which are called the seeing eyes of our universe. But the sun is the conscious light. It's everything that we can see in the daytime and it's our conscious identity. In our birth chart, it would be how we think about ourselves. And the sun in the world is how we think of the world as a collective or everything that we can see and maybe have agreed upon collectively. The moon represents the seeing eye. It's everything that you know and feel, but maybe you don't think. So the moon in our individual natal charts represents your emotional uh, maternal upbringing. And therefore, that's how you need to mother yourself. It's also this habitual lens. Um, And there are many theories around that. So the eclipse is that complete 180 degree alignment of the sun, the moon and the earth, where the earth is blocking the sunlight and the moonlight. Yet on each side, we're sort of getting blasted with this wavelength of consciousness. Mm. And so we can't digest it on an intellectual level. This is a magnetic wave. This is a light wave. Also a sound wave. And so how do we register that with the nervous system? So eclipses really awaken our nervous system. And we process it on a very deep level. And sometimes digesting that process, that alignment, and that light-coded information can take a while, can take like six months to even understand what just happened, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't always feel it right away. It's not like, okay, the eclipse happened and I know exactly what everything that is doing for me in my life, (laughs) right? Yeah. That's the, the great thing with eclipses is we can have an indication. And when you look at your individual natal chart and then you look at the transiting planets, which is where the eclipse took place yesterday, 20 degrees cancer, you can find that in your chart and see, well, how, what can I expect with that? Where is that happening for me? And how is it happening for the collective? So, um, 
the lunar eclipse in Cancer in general for the collective means that we are really working at letting go of Cancer type themes because anytime there's a full moon, it's a release. There's an emptying mm-hmm. so that two weeks later on the new moon, you have this. And we talked about this at the retreat too. Do you remember when we did the, the movement? We actually imitated the moon cycles. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the full moon is that release point. It's the realization of, oh, I'm, I'm, it's illuminated. I have both the sun and the moon's light. And I am now aware of what I need to let go of, what I need to empty. So that two weeks from now on the new moon, I feel completely emptied and ready to receive something new, ready to set a new intention. Mm. So So, so it it really is that uh, it's like those two weeks of releasing. It's not just for a few days. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I I think with anything too, there's this kind of media hype around it, you know, and almost stress. I feel like there's a pressure too. Yeah. Like, okay, everybody get into it. You're going to be in alignment regardless if you're even aware of what's happening. But now imagine you're consciously aware of it and you get to work with it. That's the beauty of astrology. Right. To bring intention, to bring intention to your experience of whatever's happening. Right. I mean, that's right. Really the beauty of it is when you can say, okay, I know I'm releasing I know that this cold I have is me really, my physical body is releasing stuff. And I always have these physical, when I have a big energetic release and also, yeah, like, but also when a lot of energy is coming in, I, my body Mm -hmm. will physically react and it's really humbling for me because I'm like, I'm like, you know, I'm doing my two hour long sadhana in the morning. I'm like (laughs) a yoga teacher. I'm a scientist. And it was like, really? Like a cold is going to take me down this week? (laughs) Yeah. Yes. But it's really important, isn't it? Because we, we do so much on this spiritual etheric level first before it ever shows up in our physical body whether that's an element or a release or anything, um, it's it's certainly common around eclipses and I think healthy. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it really does feel like it's part of the process for me. It's like it was a necessary part of this process of releasing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I know a lot of people have been sick around the eclipses. Yeah. So go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask. And then like, so specifically, people can look at where cancer is in their chart, like what planets and houses cancer is. Yeah, they can. Right. They would find the symbol for cancer. And then they would go to the right of that and find 20 degrees cancer. And that would be whatever house it's in is just like a nice way to say, okay, this is the area of life. A house represents a hemisphere of the sky, which represents one facet of life. So you could say, okay, that's where I am releasing personally. Um, But as a collective, go go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say, and if so for me, that's in the sixth house and 
there right. and then Saturn is also in that house, but it's not at 20 degrees. It's at 11. Yes. And so that means to me, the sixth house represents help, actually. Help? Um, and yeah. this help, help. Yeah. Yeah. It, one, one beautiful way to look at it, too, is that there are always polarities. So the opposite of the sixth house is considered a very spiritual house or the house of isolation, retreat. It has many meanings. But I also think about the sixth house as being the vessel. It's where we keep our vessel, our body clean. Mm. Um, and so if we're eating well and we have a good, healthy routine, then our vessel is clean and clear so that the twelfth house, which is where the spirit resides, can then shine through. And so if the eclipse is happening in your sixth house, and it would have, because the moon spends about two and a half days in each sign, it would have crossed your Saturn in Cancer at 11 degrees a day before. So it, you probably got sick the day before the eclipse, I assume, was the big release, no? It was the day, yeah, that I felt the worst. <laughs> That's so yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's, so that's it, really helpful. And right now you have, so the, the thing with this eclipse that makes it so powerful, some eclipses are, regardless, eclipses are always in alignment. And in alignment means we're, we're living on Earth, bound by gravity, part of this universal system. We are not apart from it. And it's a reminder of that. When there's that alignment, it's, it is allowing us to align with the planetary energies and the solar system and to awaken our consciousness in a way that is in alignment with the planet. And so it shakes people up. There's a lot of activities, especially in the coming months as the eclipse is digested as an energetic force field, let's think of it as. So as we're digesting it, we're awakening our own consciousness. We're evolving to better align with the planet. Mm. And these two luminary beings, the sun and the moon, which are always in communion with planet Earth, which we reside on. So we're never, for me, eclipses are a reminder that we're just not alone. We're a part of a huge system, a huge ecosystem. And this is a microcosmic system. And we forget that, I think. Mm -hmm. So and there so are the cool thing about oh, yeah. well i was going to say that the thing that's unique about this eclipse is that we have so many planets opposing the moon mm. because with the sun in capricorn right now we have mercury we have jupiter that just entered capricorn it will be in capricorn for the next year until uh december 19th then it moves into Aquarius. So we've got Saturn, Pluto, Mercury, and the sun all in Capricorn, all with their wisdom. And that's a heavy weighted area. And so you just have the moon and Cancer opposing that. Mm. And that says a lot. That's a really strong dialogue mm -hmm. that we're processing. And so all of those planets in Capricorn, Capricorn and Cancer, 
are opposite signs. Anytime there's a full moon, the sun and moon will be in opposite signs. And that duality is a whole. So Cancer and Capricorn are opposing, but they share the same axes. And that axis is about security, material security and emotional security. And the sign cancer really relates to our childhood, our upbringing, the way that we were mothered, the way that we felt nurtured and cared for. And if that was healthy, healthy for us, healthy is different for everyone. If that felt fulfilling for us, then we can go out into the material world. And I say material because Capricorn is an earth sign and earth signs are associated with the material world. Uh, it, it means that you can go out into the world and find some sort of ambition and success and freedom to be out into the world and to know that you deserve a place in society. To say, I deserve to be in society. I've worked to get here and you just feel not a sense of entitlement, but you work to get to where you are and that buys you that security. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, you know, mostly what a lot of psychiatrists and psychologists focus on is early childhood development. How was your childhood? How do you fit into society is really what that lens is about. And so this eclipse for me and my interpretation how are we letting go of where our needs were not met mm. or wherever we felt that we expected someone else to care for us and we, we were disappointed, not because they meant to hurt us or neglect us, but maybe their needs are different than ours and we couldn't communicate that or we just felt uncared for whatever that buildup is, either in the last month or your entire life it's just really about acknowledging that letting it go and saying I don't really need anyone else to take care of myself mm. and this is what all of the planets in Capricorn are saying you don't need you can do it on your own you don't really need anyone else to take care of you or to hold your hand or to coddle you you can do it for yourself you know yourself better than anybody mm -hmm. and your security is going to come from the inverse of that, if you didn't get what you needed when you were younger, provide it for yourself so that you can feel successful and secure in the world. So you feel like you belong here in this material world. That's what the eclipse is for me. Wow, that's beautiful. Um, and then there are other there are other big eclipses. I mean, there are always eclipses every. There are multiple <clears throat> eclipses every year, right? And so. When's mm -hmm. the next one? So there are approximately four eclipses per year. Okay. This year we have six. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're not always total eclipses, uh -huh. by the way. Um, so the next eclipse that we have is June 5th. Okay. And the reason for that is the eclipses are involved with the nodal points. It's when the moon passes the ecliptic belt at a particular location, when it's accompanied by the north or south node. Um, and really what that means, let me give you an even clearer definition, is that the nodal placements known as the north or south node 
um, are fictitious points. They're actually a magnetic point that indicates where the moon crossed the ecliptic. And so that is what makes a lunar or solar eclipse is when the moon crosses the ecliptic. And so the next time that happens is on June 5th of this year in Sagittarius. And then it just sort of alternates lunar. That will be a lunar eclipse too, but then it goes solar, lunar, lunar, solar. And the solar eclipse, the end of the year, the last one of this year will be December 14th. And that's a total solar eclipse. So the, the significant thing about the eclipses is that the moon passes the ecliptic around the same area for about 18 months. So it'll keep crossing the ecliptic in a similar position, going up the ecliptic and going down. And after 18 months, it'll switch position into a new constellation where it crosses the ecliptic belt. So is that essentially what happened this, <clears throat> this time we just had the first, yes. the beginning of the first beginning of this eclipse cycle was December 26th. It's like a new 18 month cycle. Yeah. Okay. No. Um, oh. Yeah. But that's, a, that's a great question and that's true, but we're actually in the same eclipse cycle as the past year. Oh. So the eclipse cycle for Cancer and Capricorn has been, so the eclipses have been alternating in Cancer and Capricorn for the last year, and they have a few months to go. Okay. Then the eclipses are going to, this year, and I can't remember when it exactly moves into Gemini, um, but the eclipses will then move into Sagittarius and Gemini, and they, they happen this year, okay. that the nodes move signs which affects the collective destiny. And then for the next 18 months, the eclipse cycle will be in the signs of Sagittarius and Gemini repeatedly. Okay. So it will go lunar eclipse on June 5th in Sagittarius, solar eclipse in Cancer is the last one on June 21st. And then the very last eclipse cycle will be July 5th in Capricorn. And then we completely move into Sag and Gemini. Okay. So they overlap slowly. The first one is in Sag on June 5th, and then we finish up the last two eclipses in Cancer and Capricorn, and then we move into Sag and Gemini for the next 18 months. Wow. And so that also means this one was sort of the end of that cycle, this Capricorn Cancer cycle. Cancer. Right. Well, it's, it's close to the last one. The very last one is July 5th in, Cap in Capricorn. Oh, okay. So we've got two more this year, but they over again, the thing with astrology is it never is a clean cutoff, oh, okay. um, which is called a plan, which is called a planetary ingress. Though it means that a planet will move into another constellation, but it's a gradual effect. And then it's fully in that constellation on a certain day. So the eclipses are weaving. They're starting to move into Gemini and Sag, but they're not there yet. So they're mm. still finishing their cycle in Cancer and Capricorn at that place in the ecliptic, but they're going to slowly start to move into Sag and Gemini. Okay. Is cool. that clear? Yeah, definitely. That was really helpful. And um, so then do you want to talk about the stellium tomorrow too? I mean, you kind of covered the opposition of the moon with all of these planets in Capricorn 
but there's an even more like intense aspect tomorrow, right? So by yeah. the 12th on Sunday, that's right. Right. And if you're listening and this just passed, but you'll still feel it. Um, right. Or you can even look back and say, okay, that's what was coming up for me. Right. Then. <laughs> Which yeah. I love to do, by the way, I love to go back with people too and just look at in their natal charts, if I'm doing reading for someone and just look at where they were at when they made certain choices. Or, mm-hmm. um, because I think it's very healing to go back in time sometimes. Yeah. Okay. So the stellium tomorrow, we did talk about it with Mercury, thought, the sun, conscious awareness, Pluto, the collective will. Uh, and Pluto always signifies a type of death and a rebirth. And it's related to a collective death and rebirth. Um, and Saturn relates to the way in which we are decalcifying our life and rebuilding it. So that stellium was opposing the moon in, in Cancer yesterday, which is very much about let's just take responsibility for the future. Let's, if we were hurt and not nurtured, let's just let it go. And let's move forward and let's start thinking about how we can make our future more secure. The other thing with the Cancer Capricorn axes is that I do think of Capricorn as the kind of paternal father figure, the elder, and then Cancer as the maternal mother figure. So this does represent the family axes too. So many of us have been dealing with family dynamics Mm. for the past two years and even if it's not direct confrontation with family it's been an inner realization for some people around the way they were parented Mm -hmm. or they're having children and they're creating their own family and they're saying oh I don't want to do it the way I was raised or I'd like to do things differently or I'd love to to emanate some things about how I was raised but then change certain things. And another dynamic that's also coming up is related to profession and work and what we're building to secure our own future, but under the context of cancer, which is, do I find it nourishing for my soul to do this kind of work? That's really that's interesting. That's the stellium. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm, I feel like everyone's sort of, yeah, in that place of like, Am I doing, yeah, what am I doing? And is it not only of service to the world, but am I, yeah, am I doing something that's nourishing me and my soul? And it's like right. our highest, our our highest destiny is to do that, right? Like, Yeah, exactly. It, it, that that's that is. This, this astrology is really getting us, the energy is is confronting us with that, realization yeah it's uh well we're conscious beings and we are communing with this planet and with this solar system and this universe and so these planets you know they have their own consciousness they're sentient beings we probably get a fraction because if you can have you ever played that game telephone yep (laughs) When the message is passed around, it really loses its meaning. So imagine if 
through our nervous system where each, each human being is receiving this planetary coding, right? And this light coding from the sun and the moon, the way in which we digest that, the way in which we process that through the nervous system, through consciousness is different for every single person. But one thing that the planetary alignments do, like the lunar eclipse or the alignment that's happening tomorrow, is that it aligns us to our own evolutionary process, both as an individual and as a collective. Does that answer your question? Yes, that was great. So, so the, the, the alignment tomorrow is slightly different. It's kind of exciting. Because there's, there's a stellium of Mercury, the Sun, Pluto, and Saturn. But Pluto and Saturn are going to be at the exact same minute and second in the sign of Capricorn, which means that they become like a, they become like one planet tomorrow because their energetic bodies, their magnetic fields, their, their, their orbs, their brilliance of, of information become one. And the way in which that impacts us is huge because those are two major planetary bodies that are in an alignment and that alignment moves like a rippling effect through us. And we, we are going to comprehend that conversation through our own filter and our own experience in life. The last time Pluto and Saturn aligned in the same sign like this, it happens on average about every 34 years. Wow. So the last time this happened was November of 1982 when Pluto and Saturn were in Libra. And so anyone born around that time, especially in that month of 1982, came in with this conversation. So if you think about the planetary, your natal chart is the way that the planetary meridians run through your physical body and experience. And you carry that with you for life. People born during that time came in with that planetary alignment and the planetary alignment in Libra at that time said this Pluto in Libra is a generational thing, but Pluto in Libra means Libra means I'm here on earth to awaken, to evolve, the way we do relationships and equality, which means relationships aren't going to be traditional anymore, <clears throat> which means that um, the way in which we experience balance has to change. And so how do we arrive at balance through imbalance, right? Isn't it the realization of imbalance that you can actually find how to be balanced? Yeah. And Saturn in Libra is considered exalted because Saturn is a very stable planet. Just think of the visible ring. Many planets have rings, but Saturns are so stable. So Saturn is a kind of calculative and plotting planet because it wants to feel really safe and secure in the actions that it takes. And it doesn't want to take what it doesn't need. And so Saturn can feel stark and it's arduous, but it's known as a karmic placement because it's what we're here as a soul to really be good at and masterful at. Hmm. So Saturn and Libra 
people. So that means people born from 19 to 3, I think 81 to 83, um, are very much about taking the right action in relationships. So those people, especially in 1982, have had a hard time in relationships because they're here to evolve the way humans do relationships and how, by example. So that cycle has taken not 34 years, which is the average, but that planetary alignment that happened in November of 1982 happens tomorrow on the 12th of January in the sign of Capricorn, which is 90 degrees away from Libra. And so what that means is we've completed a karmic cycle. Mm. Thank you. People born in 1982 have been carrying that personal story Mm. and awakening us to equality in relationships. Wow. And so, yeah. And so it aligning tomorrow in Capricorn is really bringing completion to that cycle. And it's a big deal because it also means that whatever we initiate now at this point, because anytime a cycle ends, a new one begins. Right. So now this is the next 33 years, 34 years. And everything that we, not everything, but whatever we're building at this point in our lives is really about this thematic structure of how we are caring for ourselves and building what structures we're building in our lives because structures can be so confining. It can feel like enslavement. No. Yeah. Or structures can feel so good that they support you in your growth. They can feel safe. Mm -hmm. So think about it like mastering forms. That's what this placement is about. Cool. So what do you... Saturn wants to... May I just add one more thing? Yeah, yeah. Saturn wants to build. It decalcifies what we don't need, but it really wants to build slowly, methodically. Mm. And Pluto is a planet of destruction and resurrection. So the two, you know aren't having the same kind of conversation and that friction creates motivation within us to actually change but that change isn't necessarily easy <laughs> right yeah. so what what kind so, of practices do you like recommend or do you have any things that you that you do for yourself around these big events um, in terms of helping yourself release and helping yourself set an intention for building in a specific way? Yeah, I absolutely. Um, And I think this could be helpful for other people in that you really want to know or do some research around what elements are happening like okay this pluto saturn conjunction is happening in the sign of capricorn which is an earth element so you could work with the earth element or what better way than to work with your own physical body through exercise or something to align yourself to this so if we just had a lunar eclipse and we know we're letting go of something and we know that, that eclipses are about um, aligning the nervous system. 
then for me personally would be Kundalini because I would like to align my nervous system so that I'm not so overwhelmed with what's happening. Mm-hmm. And lunar eclipse is a cancer, which is be, water. Uh, yeah, sorry, go ahead. I, I was just going to say it could also be any kind of physical practice that that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. And you know what feels good for your body. Right. Um, it's a fine line of when to push yourself and then when to resist certain things just out of like laziness or something. But in general, if it's a water sign eclipse, like the, the lunar eclipse was in cancer, that's a water element taking a salt bath, basic things, you know, things that you feel called to do. Um, to help let go of things. And it's a passive way to work with the eclipses and the planetary alignments. But another way with all of the Capricorn right now, the Capricorn stellium would be to work with your physical body and Capricorn rules the skin, hair and bones. So things like dry brushing, using oils to hydrate your skin more, um, really taking care of your skin and your bones so eating things like bone broth, anything to replenish where there's a lot of transformation happening on an energetic level as well as a physical level. Because so many people right now are having physical things show up as well related to Capricorn, which are like, right, weird skin flare-ups and sensitive skin and dry skin. And it's not just because it's winter mm-hmm. in the Northern Hemisphere. It's because of, of this alignment. So I think listening to your body, number one, and number two, just doing a little bit of research about the elements so that you can work with them, whether it's fire, earth, water, air, air would be writing. Mm, Fire would be burning something or or a heat sauna or an infrared sauna. Mm. Cool. So, and what about for setting intentions like, like this, um, it, for the Capricorn, like we're really setting an intention for a very long period of our lives. Like what, right. Do you have any practices for that? Yeah. For me, knowing that it's coming, I've been doing my 40 day devotional, um, my morning sadhana but I think for people in general even if you're just starting now it's a perfect time because you can start to think about the structures in your life and identify them conscious awareness is huge so what are the structures in your life is it your your home structure do you like where you live do you like where you work and what you're creating and if not that's fine you don't need to quit your job tomorrow, but how can you think in terms of structures that are nourishing for you rather than feeling like it's enslavement? Um, So simply being consciously aware of the systems of structures in your life. And then I would say really taking care of your body in a different way, getting much healthier related to your body because Capricorn also rules you know, skin and bones, like we talked about, so doing exercises that relate to those. So that means um, certain 
you know, stretching and massage, um, any kind of activity that is going to work directly with the body that helps you feel good in your own physical structure, your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the most powerful intention you can set and okay. goals for your future. You yeah. know, what are you doing career-wise? What are you doing family-wise? What feels good to you? Not what society tells you, not what's normal, but what do you need? That's the only way you'll feel happy is if you do what feels good to you. And I'm also thinking about the, what you said about those born around 1982 and 82. How they, yeah, how they changed this. They really were changing the structure of relationships and how relationships exist, right? Like collectively. And so how, Correct. So does that, but so for those of us who weren't born at that time, but maybe were, I mean, we weren't born then, maybe those of us who were born before that or, or slightly after, how does that cycle affect us now? Right. Um, well, Pluto is generational. So um, everyone is going to be born with Pluto in a particular sign. And that is where you're here karmically to, to transform society. But as far as from 1982, wherever Libra has been in your natal chart is where you've been reworking that story related to partnerships. So for you, Libra is in your ninth house intercepted and you were born with Pluto and Libra. Mm-hmm. So 1982 is just when Saturn was also in Libra. Right, which, okay which is a small three-year cycle, but you were also born with Pluto and Libra. And I'm sorry, it's in your eighth house, not ninth. So you are here to transform through your own experience, how you share resources, which means sexual resources, meaning union with another person, shared resources, sexual energy, and financial finances. So that's where you're here personally to work and also psychologically. Um, your understanding of human relationships and balanced relationships is deep and it's related to the psyche in many ways too. So you have an understanding of what is healthy mm-hmm. to live a balanced relationship. And so this is something you've dealt with that's been something that has felt like it's been possibly against your own will, because that's the nature of Pluto, mm-hmm. but that through your own experiences, you're bringing awareness to those around you <laughs> of how to be empowered in relationships. Yeah, that's so interesting. <laughs> Wild, right? Yeah. It's- wow, I'm glad I asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Yeah, so anybody can look at that. Anyone can look at um, where Libra is in your chart, first of all, um, and where you've been doing this work since 1982, if you were born before then. Right. Um, If you were born after that, you would then find uh, this conjunction at 22 degrees Capricorn to find where that story is now initiating a new one of structures and security. Okay. Cool. So I I also wanted to just 
you know, I mean, there's so much we can cover with astrology, but if someone's just hearing about a birth chart <laughs> and, or maybe, yeah. you know, it's like they just know their sun sign and, and maybe could you just go over what the moon and ascending, how important those are really as critical as the sun sign. And then maybe just how you would start to delve into it for someone who doesn't really know anything about astrology. Sure. I would say uh, the most, in, everyone knows their sun sign, which means that that is the 30 day window in which you were born. And that means that the sun is near that constellation. Um, the rising sign is the most important thing I think, in one's natal chart, mm -hmm. because if you do not know your specific birth time, you can't figure out your rising sign. Oh. The reason it's so important to know your birth time is because whatever constellation is in the east coming up over the horizon at your exact moment of birth uh, is so important because it's the, it's the first breath of air you take. It's the first, it's the way you come into this world. It describes your birth experience. And therefore it's the way you lead in this life. It's also the direction of your life, your personality, who you are, how you put your best foot forward and how you appear to others, not in a superficial way, but in a way that is a very strong part of you. It's how you lead. And so the birth time will tell you what your rising sign is. Once that's calculated, then each hemisphere can then be calculated. Hemispheres are houses, there are 12. And then we can plot using an ephemeris, we can plot all of the planets in the houses. So then your sun probably becomes one of the second most important planets because it's just your awareness of yourself. It's what you are here as a soul to do and to embody and to be. And your moon placement relates deeply to um, your habitual nature, deeply to your psychological needs. Um, and it's that inner most layer of you. If you were to peel back an onion, it's the, the core of that. And um, it's, how you also need to take care of yourself in this life, but to be aware of habits that perhaps you can overcome too. So does that help yeah, explain it? I think if you could even focus on those three points, mm -hmm. um, they're really important and all somehow relate to the soul. The first, the ascendant also relates to the physical body as does the sun. So they're really, really important facets of who we are because they are uh, the sun and the moon and the sun or the sign rising in the east are very personal placements. And then you have, of course, the placements of the other planets, which will tell you um, how you think, your love language, what you need to feel harmonious, Venus. Um, but they're all in relationship typically to the sun, the moon and the ascendant. So there's a lot there. Okay. So you really want people to get into like understanding those the signs that fall in those planet in the ascendant sun and moon and even if yeah they and look at all that yeah and even if they just do that it gives them a lot of insight 
about what they're, what they're doing in the world and why they came here, sort of. Yeah, it, it describes their purpose in life. Your rising sign is what you're here to do. Your sun is sort of here, who you're here to be. And the moon sign is, can sometimes keep you hung up on habit, habitual patterning, but it's also something you need to even feel safe. So, and typically all the other planets are in relationship to those. So it's, it, I would say go with those three, find your birth time. You can find an online astrology calculator and just plug that information into an ephemeris, and then it will tell you what those three things are. Or even better, get a reading with an astrologer so that you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then can you, I mean, I, I was just thinking, could we maybe really quickly go through each sign and maybe you could use like one or two words to just what you think of describes that sign? Sure. Why don't we do the polarities? Okay. I think that's more helpful. Yeah. Okay. Because there are, uh, there are 12 zodiac signs and six polarities. And I think if you, you're a Pisces, but if you understand Virgo, if you understand your opposite sign, just by understanding your opposite sign, you can be so much more balanced. You can find what you need to feel more harmonious if you're ever feeling out of balance. Mm. So the first, yeah. So the first sign of the Zodiac is Aries. And a couple words I would use to describe Aries would be personal will. And physical vitality. So there are four words, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I can go into so much detail, but I'll leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Aries' opposite sign is Libra. And for Libra, I would say right action and balanced space. Mm. The second sign of the Zodiac is Taurus. And for Taurus, I would say quality. And I would say sensuality. Mm. And for the opposing sign, Scorpio, I would say transformation and empowerment. Mm. The third sign of the Zodiac, Gemini. I would say telepathic and relational. And for its opposite sign, Sagittarius, I would say outlook and horizon, Mm. also belief. Mm. The fourth sign of the zodiac, Cancer, I would say emotional security and defend and for its opposite sign Capricorn I would say Christ consciousness (laughs) or structures Hmm. and the fifth sign of the zodiac Leo I would say inner child 
and the heart and its opposite sign Aquarius, I would say abstract innovation and collective. Huh. For the sixth, sixth sign of the zodiac, Virgo, I would say vessel, mind and body, also discernment. And for its opposite sign, Pisces, I would say universal love and omnipresence. Hmm. Yep. Wow. I feel like that was like gold, what you just <laughs> I can't wait to write it all down. <laughs> that was really beautiful Good. because, you know, I think a lot of times when you look these things up, they have these kind of just pop culture way of describing the signs. And I knew that yours were going to be so much deeper and, yeah, more... Thank uh, with you. I, outlook. Thank you. I, I feel like when you just focus on one sign, it gets really watered down. It gets very diluted right. because you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. We as a human being are multifaceted. So if you look at the zodiac wheel as almost like a type of species, mm -hmm. you know, as a human being, you break it down into the zodiac signs. They're just different expressions of a species. So we are all of those signs. I mean, somewhere in your natal chart, you have every single one of those signs. And one very healthy thing to do, and I just realized this in saying the polarities, but if you were to make a mandala too of just these signs and just see what they mean for you or align them to your natal houses because you have 12 house cusps and each house cusp will have a sign on one of those even if you were just to meditate on that for you each sign on each house cusp and write down what comes up for you I mean that is a very meditative way to do it too to work with your own natal astrology in an intuitive way right Beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Rose. I'm so excited to share this with the world. I feel like it's going to be really helpful for people to hear your perspective on what's happening right now. And then just this really beautiful way that you look at astrology. So what are... Um, thank you. What are some of the things I know that you, you do sessions, you do readings, um, and then you also have some events. Do you have any, is there anything you want to share with the, with my audience? Yeah. Um, so I have events coming up, but I cannot announce them yet. Okay. Um, they'll, they'll be in the States as well as Europe. Oh. Um, and you can all, people can always book a reading with me, a natal reading with me. I also do spiritual and astrological counseling. I have a practice. Um, but one of my favorite ways to work with astrology is similar to what we did at the retreat, which you experienced, Susan, which is to curate events based on the astrological alignments 
mm-hmm. and really personalize it for people and to use different facets of life, whether it's food or color, and just to make these beautiful experiences that can be felt in an intellectual way, but beyond that too, in a non-intellectual way of just absorbing it and feeling it and uh, bringing people and elements of life together. So that's my favorite way to work with astrology is through curation. And where can people find you and sign up for any of your offerings? Uh, My website, rosetheodora.com. Um, or Instagram, or I think I'm on almost every platform, but Instagram is a good way to follow daily updates too. Yes, definitely. And I'll link all that in the show notes as well. But I just want to say thank you so much for your time and for all of your wisdom. And I'm, I'm just so grateful that, that you came into my life. Oh, thank you. I know it's such a beautiful experience. And um, I knew, we all knew, Sat Devere, myself, and Christy, who hosted the retreat, we just knew it would be so perfect and that the right people would be there. And so I'm really grateful to have met you too and that we can connect on this. You just, you got um, the way that I do astrology right away. You just, I could tell you felt it. So thank you for having me. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Satnam. Satnam. Bye.